0: What's up, Inside OU listeners? How are you all doing on this lovely Saturday? Uh, apologies, apologies, apologies for not remembering that I had a tattoo appointment on Friday and on short notice could not get Ryan Chapman and Keegan Renault uh, to link up schedules in order to go to Vanessa House to record a new show, uh, so... I just decided I'm going to take some of all that Patreon stuff that we talk about that we try to pedal onto you on the Inside OU podcast. I'll give you some snippets of this week's content on our Patreon page, which you can find at patreon.com through the keyhole. Uh, there was a lot of OU news, a lot of NIL news uh, to be discussed, and we tried to do as best as we could. So in an effort to continue to pedal that thing towards you, Uh, We'll give you some snippets from uh, Keegan and I's Through the Keyhole podcast that we did on Wednesday about Talon Shetron's decommitment and then ultimate commitment to Oklahoma State, as well as Keegan's sit-down interview with Brian Bedford, CEO of Bedford Agencies, where they talked at length about NIL and what that means for the weirdness that we've all kind of experienced by now. Spencer Rattler has his own t-shirt line. Players are doing cameos. Dogs and cats are sleeping with each other. It's just weird, everybody. It's its its a good thing. These players should be making money off their name, image, and likeness, but it's just weird because my college football brain is inclined to say, oh, they're going to get in trouble. They're going to get in trouble. Nope, not anymore. It's not how we do things, but Keegan also sat down uh, with the Wave blog uh, previewing the Tulane game as Keegan and I start week by week going through every single OU opponent that isn't Western Carolina and Kansas because we just frankly don't We don't care. We don't care enough. We're going to go through week by week of every OU opponent where we'll sit down and interview uh, somebody that covers that team or a fan of that team that we appreciate just to help count down the weeks and the days until football season. And wouldn't you know it, we're in July, two weeks away from Big 12 Media Day, which means after that we'll be two, three weeks away from fall camp. And then boom, we're right back into it. So... Hopefully you sit back and enjoy this a little bit later in the week inside OU podcast. Again, you can find all this stuff in full at patreon.com slash through the keyhole. $4 a month gets you basically all this stuff that you're going to be able to listen to in full. $5 a month gets you everything. Plus, Keegan's film reviews that he does on Sundays and Mondays whenever he is not super busy with his other things. So, uh, we look forward to that. Look forward to you guys at Vanessa House next Thursday. I will not be on the morning show during <laughs> during the week at the franchise so my schedule won't be so screwed up and I don't have a tattoo scheduled for next Thursday. So, everybody, apologies one more time. Hopefully you enjoy. Let's get to the show. what's up what's up what's up what's up through the key holders. how are you all doing on this lovely wednesday not tuesday uh, apologies and let's get this on and actually kind of glad that we w- waited because oh boy everyone's pissed off on twitter because a uh, receiver town Cetron from what edmund santa fe or edmund memorial i don't i don't know santa fe santa, santa fe, fe. Yeah, santa fe new mexico uh decommits from ou uh has been committed to ou for some time now and is committed to our little brother, the Oklahoma State Cowboys. And uh, before we get into kind of the ins and outs of that, Keegan, you're you're already in kind of a Twitter shitstorm yourself, um, and we talked about this before we recorded for about 10 minutes to kind of get each other's baseline. Uh, but I'll let you set the stage on this one because this was your thing, and then I'll react to it, and we can kind of go back and forth from there.
1: For sure, and I understand, and the people, you know, I think – Oklahoma State there's some Oklahoma State people as well that kind of are disagreeing with me but there's some of the guys that I trust that are kind of saying the same thing and yeah you, you look at it Brady and I don't I'm trying to sit here and think of a time where Oklahoma State had a chance that are like this and you have Talon Chetron a guy that could be an outside guy he could be an inside guy he could be either or he's going to be extremely versatile um, as a receiver and you you look at as a whole, and I just think of Mike Gundy's career, right, in the last, really, six months. I don't think Oklahoma ever tried to get Kendall Daniels Brady, right? Like, that was never the vibe we got, even after he entered the portal from A&M. But we know Oklahoma did reach out, and that's probably a recruitment they should have went after. Um, This is a shocking one. Out of nowhere, two nights ago, I I started getting blown up. Same thing like Bryce Thompson, Brady right where that one night like all of a sudden your phones just start lighting up like oh my god like this is really happening um and it's obviously in the moment this is exactly what I said I, I look at some of the wins that Mike Gundy's had we went through the list 08 Colorado or oh eight, Missouri 2011 Oklahoma 2011 Stanford they beat an A&M on the road um that was a good win they had a couple good wins in 13 a win in 16 that was pretty good but this is I think the, among the things that Gundy's been able to accomplish, and again, how this got done it has context, right? And they did offer the brother tape Tabri yeah. Shetron.
0: We'll get we'll um, get to we'll get to that. Uh, to me, I think the important thing here is like what the discourse you had with Joe Bettner formerly of the Norman transcript. But like you you're getting to it.
1: This is yeah, but th- it's all part I mean, this is all part of it. I you know, they offered Tabri Shetron, the younger brother, three days ago and, and then Talon flips today. So yeah, in terms of program changing, and that's kind of where I'm getting at, right? Shetron is a guy that whenever Oklahoma State goes and plays TCU, Brady, he can do things against that secondary that maybe a guy like, oh, I don't know, Aitman, Marcel Aitman can't, or you know, you have Brayton Johnson and Brennan Presley are your receivers this year. Maybe they, can, you know, and you have Shetron. You have a guy that is going to be a dominant outside or inside receiver. And I I just, I think that this keeps Oklahoma state in a place because they were clearly falling behind. Um, I think this keeps them potentially at a place that they want to be at. That's competitive at the top of the big 12 um, year in and year out. And as well could more than likely in a couple years from now, maybe help them help elevate them to the playoff. And I think it stems from a lot of this conversation, right? Because we've said this a lot about Oklahoma, and I think these are exclusive to each other, Brady. Oklahoma really needs Jade Hazler or Theo Weiss to be a dude this year as an outside – or can, can be an outside guy um, that can be a reliable person for Rattler. And I think Chetro could be that for Oklahoma State. And if he can, and if he is, and he is this talented and he has this high of a ceiling – I think I think he's got a shot that can do some things for Oklahoma State and not necessarily take them to places that they haven't been, right? Because they've gone 11 and 1 on the cusp of playing in a national championship game. Um, but does this keep them in the direction that they want to go? And is it is it a more is it a marquee moment in the program's you know since Gundy's been there? Either I mean I never thought flipping a potential five star wide receiver from Oklahoma was in the table, you know. So I. It's, uh, it's interesting. I, I made the comment program changing. I, I still feel that way. Um, now, I know the defi- like your definition of that in mind were a little bit different, which is different. Um, but I, I look at it and I say, Gundy's never done something like this in terms of being able to flip a receiver. Now, how it got done is important with offering his brother. Um, family grew up Oklahoma State people, decent tickets to Oklahoma State games for their entire lives. Family or um, donors, alumni from Oklahoma State. So, you know, I, it's, <laughs> it's a shitty situation for Oklahoma because now you're looking at and you only have Luther Burden committed. And I want to focus on Shetron before we go into the kind of fallout at the wide receiver position, Brady.
0: Yeah, and get, that's what I wanted to, like, in terms of the program changing. That, that's kind of what I wanted to stick with first. And, like, frankly, like, uh, like uh, I'll be real. I don't know why we have d- differing definitions because it's fairly straightforward what program changing means. Now, if you're talking about program changing in the context of Oklahoma State, that means win the damn conference, and that means beat Oklahoma rather consistently. Not every year, but I mean, hell, OSU has had a better team than Oklahoma in your if you're just talking about the 2010s, uh, 2011, arguably, probably 2013. Um, 2017, they had a very good opportunity with that defense. Oklahoma was trotting out there that year, um, with basically just by virtue of playing in Stillwater, that was a wasted opportunity. So you can at least say of the the t- two times OSU's beaten OU this decade, they probably should have beaten them at least three more times. Uh they didn't. So program changing is winning at least one or two of those you should have done that games where you go into a game with a great chance to knock off your rival. So when you say program changing, my brain then goes, okay, this player can do that. He can usher in that program changing era. And I'm sorry, a receiver doesn't do that. Also, OSU has had a string of great, great great receivers going back to I mean even before Des Bryant because I know that that's kind of the the starting point for a lot of this I mean the, the Rashawn Woods was incredible back in the early 2000s uh, I, there was another like I know Donovan was a quarterback I think there was another Woods in there that was also fairly good uh, OSU has just always had great not just number one receivers they've also had just great a uh, complimentary receivers slot guys throughout the Les Miles and Mike Gundy era. So this is just kind of the status quo. They've always had great receivers. G- good for them. It's not program changing. Um, Talon stretcheron was going to come to OU probably, and we can get to this a little bit later. I don't, Jaden Hazelwood's about the only guy that I could see realistically leaving this season, uh, even if he doesn't have a parade all-American year. Like, he'll probably just leave because he thinks he's good enough and he physically is capable of doing so. Um, so that being said, if that actually occurs, Talon would be walking into a situation at OU where he probably wouldn't play that much because you have an experienced receiving core with a Theo Weiss, with the Drake Stoops, with a Marvin Mims, Mario Williams with a year under his belt, um, all these guys. Talon is still a great player. Like, this is, it, like, I would have preferred to have kept him because he's a very talented player. As an OU fan, I want to keep talented players. But both things can exist at the same time. It's a gigantic recruiting win for OSU, but it's not necessarily a loss for OU because what was OU going to do? Waste a scholarship on his brother simply to keep him? No, you don't do that because there are other talented players at play here. Maybe not right now, but the transfer portal. And maybe even some guys flip, change their minds because OU kind of sends out feelers of, hey, we're, we're able to talk now. Because what receiver wouldn't want to catch passes from Caleb Williams or Malachi Nelson? So OU did exactly what they had to do in terms of not giving, wasting a scholarship to the brother, if that was the case. Um, Like both things can exist. Good for OSU, but it doesn't change anything.
1: Yeah, I I don't know in terms of changing anything. I, I disagree with that. But in the realm of like, what we were talking about right like how we look at you know we've even said this like we have different feelings on a lot of broad topics right like program changing when like project program changing moments uh blue blood like what's a successful season i think we've we what was it kansas state right like i forgot what we disagreed about early in the off season about kansas state
0: oh that they and they were was- they were turning the corner or something like and until they actually get to the damn corner, like they can't turn it. So, like, cool. They sure. They, sure. they, they caught you napping twice. That, that. Congratulations. Go get a trophy for it.
1: Um. So, with that being said, again, I look at it and I, I'm trying to picture Shetron next season with Brennan Presley on the outside, and no, they have other receivers as well. And again, Brady, this isn't. They've had great wide receivers. This isn't that. This isn't that they haven't. And it's the fact that they flipped him from Oklahoma. Now, again, I'm, I'm going to say this again. The context in which he flipped is is very important. Yeah, because I don't think it's this not is a, a. I don't think this is a loss for Oklahoma in terms of like recruiting, right? Like, like oh, think just gets chalked.
0: Yeah, I mean, oh, you didn't fuck up or something like that. That they, they didn't like not allocate enough resources to him. Like they did not lose him as a result of that. Like it's not a Josh Jacobs situation where they recruited him and they gave him a scholarship first, but they could have recruited him harder. Like it's Mm -hmm. not that situation. You know, the the narrative about Josh Jacobs was, Oh, you didn't recruit him at all, which was false. And that was like all the bullshit about it. Oh, you did recruit him. They could have gone harder, you know, is I think where the disconnect is Um, this is not that case. Oh, you went hard. OU had him, they just lost him because he wants to play with his brother, more power to him. Like Kids are going to make decisions like that that you simply can't overcome, and we've talked about that with Gentry Williams in terms of maybe some kids grow up in Oklahoma, uh, even though they're extremely talented and they know like Oklahoma's a football factory, but they just want to go live in LA, or they just want to go live in Miami. Those are things you can't overcome. Maybe they want to play with their family members who are not as talented and therefore are going to get other offers from other schools. And the talented kid goes to that school in the first place. So unless you want OU offering wasting scholarships to uh, less talented siblings, these things are going to happen and more power to them, like cool, but I'm sure OU will be fine.
1: Yeah, Oklahoma, this isn't, this is again not impacting what Oklahoma standing is. Um, and just to wrap up kind of where our, you know, pre-fire, pre-show tussle, I guess, if, as we're both Ramrods or former interns of Jerry Ramsey. That's what he called it. Um, pre-show tussle. God, I fucking hated it when he said that. Um, anyways, I, uh, <laughs> I, I just, I, I can't wrap my mind around that this was able to happen. Like, it's still shocking. Like, and I know it's in the moment. It's reactionary and everything typically is. Um, but I just—I mean, he's gonna play for three years in, in Stillwater, man, and be gone. Like, that's probably more than likely. He's got one of the best strength and conditioning coordinators in the country, one of the best what coaches in terms of development, in Casey Dunn. Um, and like, like he, like you said, like, does he play in twenty twenty two Brady? No, at Oklahoma, he doesn't. Like that, it's just probably not gonna happen. It's not in the cards. I um, mean.
0: Lincoln Riley would get him on the field if he was indeed as good as we think and know him to be, he'd get on the field, but it would just be essentially what probably what Mario Williams is going to be this year, which is a luxury, unless Mario just becomes, you know, like so damn good that he takes some playing time away from people. But we can't predict that right now is the point.
1: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think that at the end of the day, I don't know if you're, you know, moving forward yet at all, but I, I look at it and I say, Luther Burden's still committed, Brady, and if you can just get him to sign, like you're fine, more than likely. Um, but it does bring up a lot of question of depth in the future, because like I was looking at this, like say Hazelwood's gone after this year, right? Like that's that's the only guy we're expecting, correct?
0: I. I... <sighs> Yeah, I, and you could still even make an argument that if he doesn't become an All-American this year that he'd probably need to come back, but it, physic, physically, like, he'll be ready, you know, as long as he's healthy, like, he'll, he'll be physically ready to go to the combine, go to the NFL. Uh, the other guys are just simply, like, you haven't produced enough. Now, Theo Weiss has an All-American year. He could very well be gone because of the physical tools he possesses as well, but I think realistically at this point, I can only really see one guy leaving early.
1: Sure. Okay, so you have Hazelwood, Woods, then Weiss, and Mims after next year, right? More than likely, um, with Mims probably playing his last year, next year, and in, um, in Norman. So you have four guys leaving. You only have one guy coming in, um, as of right now, in Burden. And, you know, you look really good in 2023, Brady, but after what's happened and what's transpired over the last three recruiting classes, or to last two, like, you know, I'm with you all the whole like, don't get me wrong, like, I, we can, we're in the notes and everything that I posted, but, like, they had a chance to land the four of the top six receivers this year, Brady. Legit. Like, Evan Stewart, Caleb Burton, uh, Luther Burden, um, and Talon Chetron. They had, they had a chance to land four of the top six receivers. And you go one for four. And maybe oh for four, if Burden doesn't stick. You know, like, does present uh, a unique problem down the line, right? Because, like, I'm not worried about wide receiver at Oklahoma. They're always going to have guys. Um, But when, you know, Cody Jackson is two injuries away from playing meaningful snaps in a national championship season already in 2021, and, you know, it just – we, I think we actually had a talk about wide receiver recruiting and strategy and, and philosophy a couple weeks ago, and this all kind of plays into it. Like, you can recruit some of the top guys. You want to recruit some of the top guys, because as we're seeing, if you really go from 2017 on, about who's won national championships, Brady, uh, they've all had two or three first or second round wide receivers. Alabama yeah. 17, um, Clemson in 18, LSU obviously 19- I I don't know how to describe what they had. So I just think it takes a little bit. It's a net negative. If for Oklahoma losing Shetron, I don't think it's, I think it's a, it's a, it's a negative. It it potentially down the line. I don't think it is right now, but I think if they don't, you know, if, if they don't sign those four, basically those three top guys in 2023 with Nelson, like that, it, it can become a, it can become a problem. Because, again, you're not competing with the Big 12. You're not competing with Iowa State anymore. You're not competing with Texas. You're, yeah. Well, you are competing with Texas. But you're not competing with you're, – you're going to go win a national championship. Like, what does it take to win a national championship? And I, I look at the receiver talent that – you know, the production they had a year ago with their two-star sideline right, with Bridges and Hazelwood and how it was a little bit questionable. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's an interesting time. You know, and I just – I – I hope I say this in the, in the best way possible. I hope you're the state of Oklahoma out because it's, again, I, I understand that there are good players everywhere and you are not, you know, loyal to Oklahoma kids. If you're Oklahoma, like you shouldn't be like, you're at a point right now where, you're, like I said, you're not competing with winning in the big 12 anymore. Like that was two years ago. That was three years ago. Um, and you have Gentry Williams, as we've alluded to, is, it's going to be a dogfight to get him. It's going to be, it was a dogfight to get Jacob Sexton, Brady. It was a dogfight. It's going to be a dogfight to get Chris McClellan. And Talon Chetron, no fault of Oklahoma, goes to Oklahoma State. And it's just – I know this is getting into a different tangent, but, um, you know, I just it's – it's an interesting time. You have Jordan Hudson, Flint, he's going to commit to SMU over the weekend and then he'll end up at Texas Brady. And then you have Talon Chetron going to Oklahoma state. You told Evan Stewart, you told Brennan Thompson, you told that more receivers that they were filled up and they were not going to take you. It's just, Oh, I, I I look, I I don't know what to make of it. And I guess I I laid all that out to you and I'll let you try to pick up where I came, where I left off.
0: Well, I I think just from like the standpoint that I take from recruiting uh, which is take a gigantic step back and kind of look at the big picture and not get bogged down in individual names as much as possible. Because like I always like really lean on when it comes to recruiting is like these are 17 year olds and they're going to change their minds. Um, so to be like to marry yourself to Relique Brown and committed in February of 2021. Yes. And like that's wow, that's great. And I would prefer it to be that way. Um, it's good for a ton of reasons, but it's not the end all be all because there's still eight, nine months before he can commit at the very earliest in terms of sign his name on the dotted line. So I just try to remove myself so much mainly because I don't want to be burned. I don't want to be like the fan who gets mad that a 17 year old changed his mind and went to a different school because that's going to happen. So I just try to take a gigantic step back. So with that gigantic step back, I've always kind of looked at this year as well. It was going to be kind of not tough, not bad but just a smaller receiver class for a ton of reasons and 2023 is where like the receivers kind of come and a lot of that kind of just goes to the point of oh roster is going to dictate that and then malachi nelson's going to commit and what have we seen time and time again over the last five six seven years when you got a great quarterback committed he will bring skill position players with him and there were a few Uh, one in particular that is very well connected with Malachi Nelson that was at the barbecue. And you got to feel good about that battle just by virtue of that. So um, yeah, again, like I don't want to pretend like I don't care about this. Like it's a bummer and it's especially a bummer uh, losing him to, you know, little brother uh, OSU. But when you get into the context, the nuance of why this decision was made, it kind of just goes like, OU was in no position to give a scholarship to his brother. And if that was the... If that was the death knell, then so be it. Good luck, p- power to you. It'd just be another receiver, another very talented receiver that OU's defense will shut down. So, time and time again, it happens. But um, anything else on the Talon Cetron saga or recruiting at large before we get into the uh, the the nuggets that you put out on uh, Patreon yesterday? Because I wanted to get into that a little bit later.
1: Um. Oh, think it's important like I, I know I just pointed this out right like it's a it's a unique time because like you look down the line and Drake Stoops and Brian Darby are two of your best receivers <laughs> two years from now and like that could be a major problem um you know and I, I other thing too and I, I said this to Eddie yesterday Brady when we were talking about Chetron <laughs> like there is part of this as well with how much, how like they're going to have a Brown, right? They have Eric Gray. Those two guys can play wide receiver. They, they can line up at wide receiver. So it takes a little bit of that burden away. Right. Um, and, but at the end of the day, like they just, the whole, this has got to stop <laughs> in, the, in the realm of everything I'm trying to say, Brady. It's just more of like, this shit has just, if you're Oklahoma, this has to stop right like this is a this is becoming an annual thing and maybe this sounds crazy Brady maybe I'm at a national perspective across the board with recruits maybe I'm overstating where Oklahoma's at am I wrong in saying that like I don't know I don't feel like this happens if Oklahoma was won a national championship in the last two years or less if they OU, would have won it in 17 or 18.
0: Oh, you won a national title in 2000, and they got a lot of recruits as a result, and they also lost some. Like again, like recruiting's hard, and you get into recruiting battles that are yours to lose, and then you get into recruiting battles that you really don't have a realistic shot at because these kids are human and some of them have their decision made up already. Some of them have their decisions made up, uh, reliant upon an external factor. You know, one being I'd rather play with my brother, or one I want to go play where there's a beach walking distance from school. And Oklahoma doesn't have that. Like there are just uphill battles that you can't overcome. And I, I've, I've talked about that. I've tried to be fairly consistent with that. But at the end of the day, when you're recruiting the best, you're going to get burned. And that's where I want I want OU to be in that spot where they're getting burned by losing great recruits. I don't want them to be in a position where they're getting burned, losing recruits to Texas A&M or to uh, Arizona state or like I don't, Michigan state. Like I don't want them consistently losing their best targets to mid tier programs. Now, OSU is a mid tier program, but there is context and nuance to that loss. So end of the day, Bummer, but I've moved on already. And like our good friend, um, Rough Riders, Steven Brown from the Crimson Cream Machine, he does with Kamiar Marabian, has already pointed out on Twitter, at one point, OU lost out on Jalen Rager. He's pretty fucking good, right, Keegan? Right? First round pick, TCU, very good. Could have been and on the same team with CeeDee Lamb. You know, that would have been a hell of a receiver core. Oh, well, OU just had to settle for Hollywood Brown. OU's going to get their guy.
1: I don't know, they have they, it's not out there right now, though, you know, like, I think it's, I think it's worth being skeptical. I think there's fair value to that. You like, could be
0: skeptical, but you could be as equally as like, if they get a four-star guy, if they have to settle for some low-end four-star, man, Lincoln Riley has turned low-end four-stars into stars.
1: Sure, yeah, and I, I get, I get with what you're saying and where you're going. Um, I just, I, right now, like, when you look at the board and who they've offered, um, they turned away Evan Stewart. So, he's going to, more than likely not going to be there. Brennan Thompson, um, they turned him away, not going to be there. They will not continue to recruit Jordan Hudson. Uh, he will no longer be there. By the way, our boy, uh, our boy, Kale Gundy, from the sounds of it, ripped him a new one. And that won't uh, – <laughs> okay, I'll try, I'll try not to be as cryptic as I can. Uh, Hudson wanted to visit SMU for the weekend of the barbecue. And yes. uh, Kale wasn't happy about that. I think I don't. I'm not 100 percent on that, but I, I I I don't. I mean, I don't blame Kale for being upset that a kid would want to visit SMU instead of Oklahoma, um, you know. But uh, so I don't anticipate them being in that there. Um, you have Robert Spears Jennings. He's listed as a wide receiver, right? But he's a uh, he's a he's a defensive back offer. That uh, an athlete. I guess as Thomas from Florida is a name that's been brought up, but nothing. I don't know if anything's there. And then they offered the Xavier Bryce kid from DFW, uh, but he's a DB, you know? So it's, uh, the picture's not clear right now. I, 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 I'm with you. I, I, I don't think it's a problem. I don't think why, I think Dennis Simmons in terms of like things that I'm worried about, Dennis Simmons is at, in a different place than Bill though, Right. Like that is like the, in terms of pressure of performing in production, like, Dean Bills had two years where the offensive line is underwhelmed. The receiver position is underwhelmed for one, you know, like, and huh, Dennis Simmons was getting shit talked by his best receiver that couldn't play, you know? <laughs> so like, it's, I think I, I'm not, I that, that thing with Simmons is a little bit different um, as well, because I think Lincoln Riley has a lot to say in, in how many receivers they're bringing in, who they're going after. Um, and I would imagine Beanbo has got a little more freedom. To another interview that we're doing on the, through the keyhole Patreon and as, and as well as the name image and likeness era has hit us. I am joined by Brian Bedford um, owner. I believe I didn't get official title owner. I would believe CEO, whatever the title may be head manager, official GM, whatever um, of uh, Bedford agency, which is a, a guy that I've connected with over the years, um, on some recruiting things, data, this and that, but I know from afar he does a great job. But uh, yeah,
2: they they think it's very formal. I will tell you that. But um, <laughs> but we definitely teach that, right? That's part of the process. Like um, you know, especially early on, like coaches want to coaches want to recruit kids who are interested in their program. So it's kind of like dating. Same analogy. Mm-hmm. Like if you like the girl. Uh, you know, you got to extend some, uh, some interest somehow. And that is a way to do that.
1: And I think some people would relate to what you guys do too. yeah, Don't get me wrong. Like whenever I was, obviously we're talking 13, 14. I mean, not, I'm not talking obviously ages ago um, as I say this, but I think in the realm of what I'm asking, like there was be recruited and then field level was another, you know, tool a lot of people in, in my kind of age group use um what would you would describe what bedford agency is and in terms of you guys you know helping kids and families you know get recruited better um what would how would you describe what your service is
2: yeah i i think of it this way um have you ever been to europe keegan
1: i have not no all right so when have you ever been out of the country Man, you're asking the wrong guy these questions. Are you asking about a travel agent? I have sake, been in okay. the state of Texas. I okay. have been to the state of All Texas. All right.
2: So let's just pretend that you're not 15 and you actually go somewhere out of the country, okay? Um, when you do that, um, let's just pretend that you know you've got a significant other or a big or a bunch of buddies or whatever. Would you, are you the type of person, and there, there's no wrong answer to this, but are you the type of person that would do your own research and navigate the, the uh, travel websites and Yelp and all those kinds of things to book the, the trip of a lifetime, or would you seek out maybe uh, a, and get a little bit of help from a travel agent or maybe somebody who knows the area or you might make a phone call to someone that has maybe been to the place, which is your style, Keegan. Let me just get a sense of how you roll.
1: I mean, considering, Brian, I'm the smartest person in the room in whatever room I'm in, I probably would do it on my own. But if I have but assuming I would use that with a spouse or a wife or a girlfriend, she'd probably tell me to use the travel agent, right?
2: Okay, yeah. So, So I, I think about it that way. That's the easiest analogy that I think about. It. So I tell people all the time, like, Um, You know, I was a former division one and division two recruiting director. I was recruiting director for Gary Patterson at TCU. I don't know if we've ever talked about that, but, um, and I, and I think about it in, in the sense of, you know, if you're a parent and you're going through something that quite frankly, could be life changing for your son or daughter, you can either go through it on your own terms, through your own processes, depend on your own network of people. Or you can seek some counsel, some people that have some expertise, that have some tools, that have educational content, and, um, uh, and, and some partnerships to do that. There's not a right answer to that, but that's what we do. That's what we provide. So I, I, try, I think about what we do simply as we're really an advisory service. We're like the travel agent for recruiting. Now, I'm going to book your flights. I'm not going to book your hotel stay. I'm not going to call the coaches on your behalf. But I'm going to tell you the do's and the don'ts, the lessons learned, the 25 years of recruiting experience that I have. I'm going to teach you some things that work and don't work. And it's up to you whether or not you want to, you know, know, take advantage of that. Um, I'm going to provide some tools to you. I'm going to set some templates out there for you. You as a kid or you as a parent get to choose whether or not you accept that. Um, but um, we've had a lot of success and, uh, and, and have built a reputation now where we're, we're getting families that are having um, really a pleasant, meaningful experience. And, and secondarily, kids are having an opportunity to go play at the next level. Um, now, are we picking up and calling Lincoln Riley and Mike Gundy? Absolutely not. They don't want to hear from me. Um, Coach Patterson at TCU is not doesn't want to hear from me either. Uh, but are we putting kids in the right spots? Are we making sure that they are aware of the different systems and tools and way that kids are evaluated? And we're providing expertise to help kids that maybe are overshooting where they can really play which is really one of the big mistakes you know every kid and every parent thinks that Johnny and Susie is probably better than Johnny and Susie really are and so where can we put where can we point them in uh, specific directions that are more targeted towards um, where that um that, that kiddo can, can really play at. So that's the short version of what we do. Um, we have kind of a high touch advisory service um, that we're newly, we're working on branding right now, which we'll, we'll rebrand to what we call College Recruiting Elite. And then in August, we're actually going to bring kind of a low touch digital subscription with some content newsletter and some tools um, that we're going uh, to uh, launch in August called College Recruiting Express. And again, these are really educational tools, they're advisory processes, they're not services that, you know, we're promising the world that promising to call 50 coaches, promising scholarships, we're really, we're really promising you that we're going to teach you the process, we're going to teach you how to do it. And we're going to give you some tools and some information that can help you, um, you know, do this in the most efficient way possible. So that's what what we're up to.
1: Yeah, before we dive into the true NIL conversation, is that something that can directly impact you guys to where you could, in theory, represent players as they kind of go through this process and in college?
2: Yeah, I mean, it it could. I mean, um, candidly, we've been monitoring it for a year now, done a lot of research on it, Um, have, uh, have investigated a ton of partnerships. And so we know... Pretty much where it it will um, it will land. Um, candidly, there are people that are actually considering working with us to really even bypass the college market. Um, they just want to work with somebody that's already working with high school kids because they feel like um, there's no there's really no need for the top three four hundred kids. Why would we wait until they get to Clemson or get to Alabama or Oklahoma State or whatever the case may be? But to answer your question, yes, although. You know, I, I, I'm a I'm a little careful to jump into that kind of agent realm, uh, so to speak. Um, you know, I, I do think there's a way to provide kind of some advisory services, but it's really super crowded right now. That's uh, it's it's the wild, wild west on top of the wild, wild west right now because the legislation is so delayed. Right. They were supposed you know, the NCA. Uh, put out a timeline that said that they were going to award a third party to manage name, image, and likeness in November of 20. Legislation was to be voted on by the end of January at the NCA convention, and then they were going to implement the legislation and the third party by April 1st. And here we are in June, and we have none of the above. So uh, you want to be smart and careful because you would never want to misrepresent your your capabilities or your offering and or put a kid in jeopardy with eligibility. But to answer your question, yes, we absolutely could do that. Um, We're just trying to be really thoughtful about trying to do something that makes some sense. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's as crazy as I've ever seen policy driven at the national level.
1: So would you make TikToks and dance for it if it meant to get your agency more popularity? That's the question. I would let
2: you TikTok on my behalf.
1: Okay, okay. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I don't know if you want me doing that. You, but, you,
3: you
2: and some softball player probably could TikTok on my behalf and do a much better job than me.
1: No, I've got, I've got no shot at TikTok. That's not my world. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, the off-season... I don't think this is the official end of the offseason, but it's sure. F- Anyways, I am joined by Fear the Wave blog, um, T- Tulane Focus blog. Great, greatest mascot in college football, greatest uniforms in college football. But JP, I have to start with something here that I, I, I purposely didn't tell you before I came on. I will not be in New Orleans for this game.
3: Why, man? Oh, that was such a great, you were on such a roll for that lead in. And then you drop that. What are you doing instead? Give give me, give me the breakdown here.
1: All right. My family, obviously big alumni, big donors to the university of Oklahoma, their daughter, my aunt and uncle, their daughter is getting married on that day because it's the first, it's a road game. They don't want to travel to it. So I will be at a uh, family wedding on that Saturday. Here's the kicker here. If we have something going down in new Orleans on Friday night, I'm kind of thinking about going down to New Orleans on Friday and then flying back for the wedding on Saturday, just so I can say that I did it. But um it could be uh yeah, I will, I will not be down there. And I was doing good leading into this, but I didn't want to I did want you to hear that. Cause it's like I was I was looking forward to this game really for since the beginning of 2020. Um, just with the COVID year, not knowing what's gonna happen, JP. Um it's gonna be, it's I know we're <laughs> I started this off horribly, but I know that we're heading into a season with Oklahoma that's got all these expectations and aspirations of what they want to do, um, and it's just a great, like, opener, right? Because, like, Tulane's – and we'll, we're about to get in Tulane, obviously, as you guys know, and through the Keyhole Patreon. Um, thank you all you guys for all what you do and allowing me to do stuff like this. But, JP, it's New Orleans. First game of the year, Bourbon Street, Oklahoma for Tulane – you, how, do, how does that, like, how, how is Tulane and, and Tulane fans and the – how are they kind of, I don't know, grasping kind of how big of a game this kind of is for the university in itself?
3: This is – so let's let's do a little history here. And, and thank you again for the introduction. But but let's do a little history here of, of what this game means because what, you know, some some of the Oklahoma fans out there who have already – they haven't started selling the single-game season tickets. I've seen on OU Twitter – People are buying season tickets to ensure they have a ticket to this game. Folks, this is the party of the year. The the only negativity that I can feel is that ABC put this game on at at 12 Eastern or at least 12 Central, I think. It's an early game. It's
1: 11 a.m. kickoff.
3: Oh, my God. Yeah, it's going to be dangerous. It's going to be, I would say for you, man, you should come in Friday night because I think if you are a wise OU fan, Your best bet is to basically do what Tulane university students do before graduation, which is to stay up the entire night before, go to Miss May's bar at like three o'clock in the morning, ride this thing out until seven, head over to the tailgate, and then you can end up, you know, going to bed. Depends how long you last the game. There's options, is all I'm saying. But to your question, Tulane opens Yeoman stadium in 2014. Okay. They played at the Superdome in a cavernous NFL stadium where in the later years of Tulane football, there's like 11 people there, right? I mean, I'm talking, there's so few people that the air conditioning at the Superdome, which is built for there to be like 70,000 bodies. It would be like 35 degrees in there when you have so few people, it was brutal. It was brutal. And so now Yolman Stadium, I mean, it's a 30,000 person stadium, but for Oklahoma fans, I mean, it's going to be such a cool, like really kind of like intimate environment that people are going to be in. And like, let's call a spade a spade here. This is the marquee opponent that has ever come, the most marquee opponent that has ever come to Yolman Stadium. Uh, and I think on, on that level, and then combining that with the fact that Tulane, like a vast majority of schools last year had a, a very different home game experience. Uh, they did not uh, really ever approach like a 25% capacity allowance or anything like that. Um, this is such a cool way to kick the season off and doing it on ABC on a national game. You know, Tulane, when they traveled to Oklahoma last time, it was like that pay-per-view situation on on Sooners.com. I mean, this is just a completely different environment. And I think it's going to be awesome for, for Sooners fans and Tulane fans alike.
1: You head into the season, if you're Oklahoma, JP, and if you don't show up in this game and the game's not done by the end of the first quarter, people are upset. We are, I believe, 67 days now from kickoff between Oklahoma and Tulane. Like what is that even expect? Like, I know we're not even into, I'm not, I told you this, I haven't even done film research. That's going to be something for later in the week on Tulane. Um, But for the most part, like, I guess, necessarily the comment i'm making is that like is there any expectations for tulane heading into a game like this like even 67 days out Uh,
3: you know i think that that tulane one of the things uh, i was reading phil Steele, and and tulane i think has the second biggest how do you say this it's like if you compare last year's schedule to this year's schedule in terms of difficulty tulane is number two in the nation from going from an easy schedule to a very hard schedule the the non-conference slate starts with Oklahoma. There's an FCS game against Morgan state, and then it's a trip to Ole miss for the Lane Kiffin show. Uh, and then finally UAB, which is one of the stronger G five programs out there. And so you, you look at that and I think that, that this is a really, as we think about expectations for Tulane this year, the expectations for this as a program are a lot different than they were when OU blasted Tulane 56 to 14 after an early promising start that immediately gave way to something entirely different for the rest of the game.
1: Yeah, that pick six and really changed things.
3: About, it did. It did. And, and, you know, I think that when we talk about what those expectations are, Tulane has now gone uh, to three consecutive bowl games, which they had never done in, in program history And Tulane has reached this next step of they're consistently winning those six or seven games per year, which in the context of the last 30 years of Tulane football makes Willie Fritz something akin to a miracle worker, just to achieve that level of consistency of they're showing up. They're not at the bottom of the conference anymore. And I think when you look at these early games, especially OU, you know, the trip to Miss to some extent, but you want to go out and show that some of these playmakers he's put in place can go and compete against high level talent. And I think that if Tulane can do that in these early games, I mean, that's what you want to see as you go into an AAC schedule, it's going to be tough. Um, so, you know, I think we have eight weeks until this game or something like that. Uh, I think Tulane wants to come in and and show that, you know, they have some tools against the team like this. And that's kind of what we're looking for.
1: Two years ago, as he mentioned, Oklahoma and Tulane played the first of the home and home series. JP, I think it's pretty cool. Like, you know, we're going to get into the – I'm going to ask you your opinion and let you rip me for my college football playoff opinions. Um, but Oklahoma does this, where, like, they were scheduled to go play at Temple. Um, they were scheduled – you know, they, they've played at Tulsa before. Um, in, in Tulsa at um, – gosh, I can't believe I don't know the stadium's name off the top of my head I, after this is going to kill me. But they've done – like, as a, as a G5, and, you know, you wouldn't even went on the road to Houston. Um, Now that's a little bit different because the recruiting implications of it and that they're playing at Tulane for the same reasons, JP, and, and getting access in the state of Louisiana, which uh, would serve them. Well, if LSU is burned down at the stake within the next year could serve them pretty well. Um, But like as a, as a, as a G5 or smaller school person, like, do you think it's kind of cool that Oklahoma goes and does this and goes to a road environment at a Tulane that Five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old kid would be like, "Why the hell are they doing this?"
3: You know, I, I think this is one of the biggest things when you compare where a program like Tulane is today versus where they might have been in the 1970s and 1980s. Where, when you're in a city like New Orleans, which has big-time football in the form of the Saints, and then you know you're an hour on I-10 from from Baton Rouge and, and LSU football, I think one of the biggest challenges is you get a limited number of times where Tulane gets the attention, right? The the reality is, you know, I'm a believer and and folks can roll their eyes if they want, but but there's some really good teams in the AEC. Tulsa was an amazing team last year. Tulsa does not move the needle in terms of the local fan consciousness or news shows talking about Tulane football and things like that. So, A, I I think having Oklahoma come and play this game, really bar none, is is pretty awesome for for Tulane just in the exposure of the program. But second, you know, I think you're alluding to this credit to, to Oklahoma for actually playing it. We see so many instances for other G5 programs where they'll book these two for one games and things like that. And Notre Dame will come and play the game that's at Notre Dame and then they buy out the, the other games in the contract, right? Because they want to go and schedule their home and home that they're going to play in, in in Jerry World or whatever it might be and do the big money game. And I think whatever the motivation is for Oklahoma, you know, it's pretty cool they saw this through. And, and I think it's awesome. And it's a it's a two for one. There's going to be another game where Tulane goes to Oklahoma again. Um, you know, frankly, it's been, it's been fun meeting some Oklahoma people over the years as a result of this series, that I don't think would have happened. So I think, you know, for us, it's really exciting to see this game happen and have a truly marquee program like OU come on the road and play at Tulane to open a season like this. And I think for Sooners fans, you know, I think the time, the, the kickoff time, notwithstanding uh, people are going to have fun. And I think that's an awesome thing to, to really kick off what feels like the return to the college football world.
1: Future conference opponent Tulane, right?
3: We can only hope. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The only, the only thing that's important is that Memphis was decidedly not invited in that last round. Uh, and I'll always respect the big 12 for that to be like, we are open to 25 schools that we're not serious about, but Memphis, I do not care how much money you spend and how many times you have Justin Timberlake write letters of recommendation. We do not care about you. Amazing content.
1: Oh, it's awesome. All right, let's dive into Willie Fritz, because as we said, and as you um, are very aware, I may be I'm not the original Stan or of the fan club, but for about week, whenever I started studying Tulane for the game two years ago, JP, I fell in love with what Willie Fritz has been doing at Tulane. I know he's been doing it for a long time. You mentioned Fritz has taken Tulane to places. And again, for me, like this is still crazy, like three straight bowl games, I guess I know Tulane baseball really well from my background and growing up and playing baseball. Um, But I, I guess I would have anticipated more of that. So uh, just speak to, I know you did a second ago, but what has he done coming in that's allowed Tulane to get to where they're at now?
3: I think one of the most impressive things about Willie Fritz, and I think a lot of people, especially those who follow college football pretty closely. I mean, if you were like a serious college football hipster, you know Willie Fritz, right? The guy has won national championships at the JUCO level. He went on and he did awesome at Sam Houston State. He goes to Georgia Southern. He has two amazing seasons there, taking Georgia Southern to bowl games in their very first two seasons at the FBS level, and then he comes to Tulane. And I think the thing that I would give him the most credit for is his ability to change. He is what what most people would see kind of on the later part of his coaching career, right? And yet he has radically changed his philosophy. He has not been married to anything specifically in the sense that he came in and people said, this is going to be a triple option program. And in fact, for OU fans who remember the last game where I believe Jonathan Brantley was the quarterback who ended up becoming a running back and transferring to another school. I mean, for the first two or three seasons at the helm, he did not have a real true quarterback under center. And as a result of that, he continued running a lot of the option-based schemes that we were seeing and familiar with that he did at Georgia Southern. That style of football did not translate to immediate success in the AAC for whatever reason. And, you know, what I really give him a lot of credit for is he went out and he, he brought a new blood. He got a new offensive coordinator in Will Hall, who has now just been named the uh, new head coach at, uh, at the University of Southern Mississippi. And Will Hall did an incredible job. And what Will Hall accomplished was in the last two seasons... Tulane started to air it out a little bit. They started to build that passing game. And as a result, if you look at the SP plus numbers, Tulane was a top 40 offense these last two seasons after being basically one of the worst 30 offenses in college football from like 2000 to basically 2018. So you have this, this really terrible run on offense and he changes it up. He brings in a new offensive coordinator. Now I think the thing for this year, especially looking at this as game one, that's a little bit of an X factor. Tulane has a new offensive coordinator, and that offensive coordinator is Chip Long. And if you're familiar with that name, you're probably familiar with him from his time when he was at Notre Dame. Uh, he left Notre Dame under Brian Kelly. He was an analyst for Tennessee last year. He's back as an OC and kind of coming back into that level of college football. Uh, so you know, Willie Fritz does what it takes to win. He's not he's not like hey this worked for 20 years, and I think I really respect that about his style.
1: Yeah. He hired from someone from Tennessee staff. So obviously he, he really wants to win. Um, I, uh, I, I look, <laughs> I True. look at, I, I look at, I look at Tulane man. And, and you said talking about style and that they've changed. Like I, this is just a philosophical thing, but I kind of wish they wouldn't because like there's an ask. Cause like he grew an appreciation for it for me specifically watching Oklahoma in 2019, whenever Jalen hurts couldn't complete a pass downfield beyond 10 yards and Lincoln just pulled the plug on the offense. It was like, nope, we're just going to read option, run it, two backs on the field at all times, um, do a bunch of different things. And it's, it's really, really exciting. It can be really effective, um, even if you don't have offensive line play as at a level where you need it to be, because you're basically creating a mismatch in terms of numbers to do it. So I, I've always since really started studying what they've done, Um, I've always enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to it. Um, Let's touch on a couple players real quick as the uh, one, everybody, if you don't know about him already from everybody talking about his name last season, um, but a more exciting football player than his name. Now I want to say his name because it's awesome. And I've already hinted at it three times. Fat Watts. P-H-A-T, fellas. Not F-A-T, but P-H-A-T. Him and his brother are electric, man. They're fun players. I, I know I said I haven't done a deep dive on Tulane quite yet, but I can tell you in passing that I they are exciting. They're athletic. Um, and I, I'm, I'm looking forward because I think that when you look now, my next question was going to be about Tulane's offensive line because what Oklahoma is going to be bringing to town, JP, but I think that's going to be a pretty good test for them. Like in terms of athletically with Oklahoma in the secondary, right? Like I think it's got a chance to be a pretty unique test for them in a week one game against Tulane, which I know the state of Louisiana has athletes up and down, man, I, I get it. Um, but whenever you're trying to prepare for this conference and you get to play against two receivers like that, that have a chance to really, you know, if you aren't doing your job and you're not assignment sound, that could cause some serious problems.
3: Yeah. I, I think that that's one of the biggest differences where Tulane is this year versus back in 2016 or whenever that last game was, was just the, the number of guys who are a factor in, in really building a successful passing offense. And, you know, you pointed to, uh, you know, in addition to fat Watts, you have Deuce Watts, who was just named uh, second team all conference by Phil Steele. And, you know, Deuce I think is one of those guys that you want to see have a big year for Tulane and take that step up who definitely showed flashes of it. And the other guy to add into that conversation is Jaquan Jackson, who's a local Louisiana guy who has a ton of potential also second-team all-conference for Phil Steele. But really, I think the the X factor behind all of that is that, as I alluded to before, Tulane really struggled to find that guy who kind of fit the prototype of the future college football quarterback, a guy who could run the football, but but had the arm strength and have the arm talent. And I think we have a lot of confidence right now that Willie Fritz and Chip Long as offensive coordinator have that for the first time. And uh, the boy from South Florida, Michael Pratt, who was one of the, I think, five or six best freshmen in the country last year um, in terms of his performance as a passer. He took over the job about four games into the season and really led Tulane back after things were looking pretty tough under the former quarterback uh, to making a bowl game last year. And so I think that's one of the other areas too, is seeing Pratt who now has those weapons on offense at receiver uh, and then a stable of really great running backs. I think, I think I agree with you. I think that it's it's not a pushover kind of offense, and it's also a really amazing test when a team like Oklahoma can really bring the house.
1: uh That's what I was about to allude to next. Oklahoma's heading into uh, New Orleans, my friend, with probably the best defensive line they've had in 09 and that defense had Gerald McCoy on it. Is that I mean, in terms of testing that secondary, I mean, is there going to be anything up front that's going to stop them from getting the quarterback? Now, don't get me wrong, like. Nick Benito is a first rounder. Isaiah Thomas is a, a day two NFL guy. Um, I mean, they're elite football players, but in the is there going to be anything of sort of resistance up front for them, you think?
3: you know, I think this is going to be the, if I had a circle, what's the biggest challenge. And, and, you know, we'll talk about this in, in September of like, what, what, you know, what, when it, if it goes bad is going to really hurt Tulane, this is it. Right. And I always look at the battle in the trenches as being the thing in most games uh, against even a good G five against a, a really good P five team that you can notice the the difference between a first round type draft pick on the offensive line or defensive line. And, and, and you know, what else is out there now, I think to Tulane's credit, there are, there are some guys who, who, you know, we expect a lot out of specifically Corey Dublin, who's a first team all conference guy. Um, he's coming back, I believe for his sixth year of school. He was one of the guys who used the COVID role to, to get another season. And then another guy out of Texas who I would add to the all name team, sincere Hainsworth, but oh, it's the biggest test.
1: Unbelievable. It's a good what, say one. Say that right? name again.
3: Sincere Hainsworth. Oh. Watch out for him. Uh, another all conference guy on the offensive line, but you know, it's, it's the reality here. We know that OU is going to have studs in the defensive line. I think if you're looking at a game specifically with Michael Pratt of a team that, that really got to the quarterback and prevented Pratt from testing the secondary, the game film to watch from last year about Tulane is the Houston game. I mean, Tulane had looked pretty good in the games before that and just comes to Houston and, and, and ends up, I, I think really losing the battle in the trenches. And I think that if they have that kind of game, it is going to be a long, hot day for the Green Wave team.
1: Yeah, and you look you look offensively for Oklahoma, JP. Obviously, they have Rattler, but they do have some intriguing question marks, specifically a right guard and right tackle. Like, does that, when I say that, does that give you any, Does that, is there a pass rusher that Tulane in your head has that, or defensive tackle that can maybe even take advantage of that or give a look?
3: I mean, there's there's one big name that's going to come to mind. I'd say one of the best things that happened this offseason was the story around Jeffrey Johnson, who is probably an unknown name to, to most OU fans. His whole story is, is pretty, pretty interesting, honestly. Uh, if you go to his 247 page and look at Jeffrey Johnson's offer list, uh, he was getting offers from top tier SEC talent, Alabama, LSU, the list goes on. Um, he's a defensive tackle. They call him the big easy. He is a big guy and he's got that, that, that burst of speed, which makes him really potent. And I think for Tulane, one of the toughest things you would think for this year is that they actually lost two, uh, defensive linemen to the draft. So, you know, a G five team sends two players from the same unit to the draft. And you're going to look at that and say, well, that's probably going to be a weakness the next year. And while it could be, I think there's actually some, some things that Tulane can be pretty excited for. And the Easy is one of them. And the reason why I think we're we're pretty excited about his storyline is that he actually announced he was going to enter the transfer portal, and he's a guy who I would have expected to actually go to a bigger school and go get time. Um, you can look at game film game film for Jeffrey Johnson against Auburn last year, where he looked just as dominant as he did in those G five games. That's a guy who actually can can potentially start to exploit some things there. Um, there are some younger guys, whether you're looking at you know the the front or even the linebacker core in the linebacker core, I would look at Dorian Williams as another guy who we expect it to kind of have a breakout year. Um, but that, that is something that I think if uh, the big easy can, can, can do some work, that would be a good, a good plot line for the green wave.
0: And that's going to wrap it up for the Patreon snippets. Once again, uh, sorry that this came out a few days later, but the morning show is an ass kicking uh, for the sleep schedule. And I'm just a weak human. Like I, you are better than me. I am I am not that strong, so don't worry about it. Hopefully, this will tide you over until Tuesday. If you decide to jump on the Patreon uh, with Keegan and I, we'll have the Monday morning or afternoon post uh, whenever it's able to come out uh, on Monday. And then Tuesday, we'll do our Through the Keyhole podcast. And then we'll have other random interviews and snippets for you all to enjoy. Keegan posts Friday musings about recruiting and the state of the program. As well, again, $4 a month, $5 a month, depending on whatever you're wanting to donate. And then we will return to Vanessa's house on Thursday around 5.30 or 6 to record Inside OU uh, because Vanessa is awesome and I will have a normal schedule this coming week. I'm very excited about it. But everybody, thank you so much for listening to Inside OU. If you haven't already, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We will greatly appreciate that. But until next time, everybody, Boomer Sooner, and we'll talk to you later.